Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Man, what's it like to be surrounded by a bunch of people that uh, you don't know and uh, maybe they make you a little bit uncomfortable, but you have a message to tell them. Uh, this is what we want to talk about today in The Scent Life. Uh, how is it that we can practice cross-cultural evangelism? So today we welcome back into our Scent Life studios, Dr. Anna Dobb for our Stories of the Scent Ones. Anna, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be back. Man, it's good to have you here with us. So today we want to talk about a guy who really wasn't a missionary for a long time. He wasn't. But perhaps is the most influential because of his journal. Yes. David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary to indigenous peoples in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. Yep. And he was most successful among the Delaware Indians. Okay. But... His journey was short-lived, as you as you mentioned. He'd actually died of tuberculosis when he was 29. Yeah, um, He'd only been on the field for about, about three years. Uh, now, most likely, he would have been a, a missionary. He would have died in obscurity, and we would not remember, mm-hmm. except for he had a, a fairly influential father-in-law. Yes, he did. Uh, his name was Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> and Jonathan Edwards actually published uh, David Brainerd's journals. Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, a, a man named Ed Smither, who's a historian, a missions historian, he says that Edwards' greatest contribution to global missions happened when he published Brainerd's journals. Uh, when they were read by Christians in the English-speaking world, such as William Carey and Henry Martin, people we've already talked That's about, right. they inspired and mobilized a new generation to missionary service. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that, to your point, we wouldn't know a single thing about David Brainerd. Uh, faithful service to the Lord, very committed uh, except for these journals. And these, the diary and journals of David Brainerd may be the most influential books uh, in Christian history. Quite possibly. Uh, some of the great Christian leaders, people like John Wesley, and like you said, William Carey, deeply inspired by David Brainerd. And I would encourage anyone to go pick up a copy of the journals and just read them. It's not really a one-sitting reading. Uh, it's something that you just kind of pick up and read, maybe as part of your quiet time or read in, in spurts, uh, kind of one warning. Uh, one of the things that David Brainerd really struggled with was depression. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear through the readings that he struggled uh, mightily uh, as a depressed guy, always frustrated was God doing anything through him. But what we see from David Brainerd is this story of a man who faithfully served the Lord, a man who was determined to seek after God's will uh, despite the difficulties. There are points where he's riding a horse from from village to village and place to place. He falls off his horse in the snow because he's so ill, gets back on and goes and preaches. Wow. But tremendous stories of, of, to your point, the Native Americans responding positively to his preaching, coming to know the Lord, and real impact for the sake of the kingdom of God. But the big influence, to your point, is uh, is his diaries. Yes. So thanks a lot for being here as we talk about uh, stories of the sent ones. And we would encourage you, look up someone like David Brainerd and find a copy of his journals and let them be an encouragement to you as well. Hey, welcome into the Scent Life Studios. I'm Scott Hildreth. I'm here with uh, Keelan Cook, my co-host. And today we want to talk about a topic 
that we get asked about regularly, um, and, and that really is, how do I tell people who are different from me about Jesus? Keelan, we've said several times that we live in a uh, country uh, that is experiencing an increase in uh, international visitors, international students, refugees. Uh, you have a fancy word you use, this idea of diaspora missions and, and working in the diaspora. Can you catch us up just a little bit about what's taking place? And then we'll talk a bit about how do we actually communicate the gospel uh, to folks who are different than we are. Yeah, certainly. So I can remember when I first landed on the field in Africa as a missionary, right? Yep. I, the door opened to the plane and I got off and I was in this hustling and bustling airport. Mm. And I was the only person that looked anything like me that I could see anywhere. And there was these strange languages and everything was unfamiliar. Yep. Uh, I, I felt kind of like I was almost imprisoned, right? Yep. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on around me. It was very disorienting. I say all that to say, uh, used to, this idea of cross-cultural missions and engagement, it was for the select few that may find themselves either as a long-term missionary overseas or in some setting they were uh, on a short-term trip Mm -hmm. or something. And so I had a short moment where I had to deal with it. Increasingly, uh, that's not the case. Right. Uh, we're finding a moment in history here in the United States where uh, you're not going to wind up in an airport full of people who are speaking a different language than you necessarily. Right. But what you are going to do is realize that increasingly you're bumping into people that are from a very different cultural background mm-hmm. than you. And you can tell the English isn't necessarily their first language. Yep. They, there's probably a whole world over here of thought and culture and worldview and language that these people exist in and that they think in. And how in the world are we supposed to, as Christians in the church here in the States now, uh, engage with those people in a way that is fruitful and healthy and, and creates understanding? And that's a question that we all have to answer now. Right. So question that we, I think, probably should answer right off the bat, um, uh, or maybe a statement we ought to make, is that this podcast, as we talk about cross-cultural evangelism, we're not dealing with the political issues of immigration. Uh, or we're not dealing with whatever your stance from which your political party on how many people should come in. We're dealing with the, the reality that there are people here uh, who uh, need to hear about the gospel. No doubt. Uh, no doubt, regardless of the policy conversation, uh, we as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ have been told to make disciples of all nations. Uh, and the Bible is clear that anybody that can fog a mirror, we need to be sharing the gospel with them. Yeah. And so here we find ourselves, uh, God is sovereign over all things, and we find ourselves in a situation where cross-cultural encounters are going to happen for everybody in the church now. Yeah, you almost can't avoid them, right? If you're going to live yeah. on mission— in your neighborhood, in your city, you almost can't avoid uh, the opportunity. So let's ask. Let's just let's just ask a real obvious question first. Um, is it really my responsibility to share the gospel with my neighbor or with the person in the restaurant who's different than I am, or should I just wait and think somebody who speaks their language, somebody who's who's more like them, will probably tell them about Jesus? I just need to stick with the people around me. After all, there are a whole bunch of people who look like me, who talk like me, who eat what I eat and like to go where I go, who aren't Christians. Do I, is it really my responsibility to talk to other people about Jesus too? Yes. Next question. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so, of course it is, uh, though we often don't like how uncomfortable that truth makes us, do we? Right. Uh, the Bible is clear 
uh, about the importance of the, the gospel spreading to new groups and through the church. Uh, you think about the Romans 10 passage, right, mm-hmm. where it talks about how would they know if they don't hear? And those of us who have the gospel, we have a responsibility to share with anyone that the Lord may put across our path. You see clear examples of that all throughout the book of Acts. You've got um, issue like Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, and, right. and, and just this kind of at-chance circumstance. I say at-chance, it was clearly divine. Right. But there's clear evidence and examples of taking the gospel where it's not known and the least reached, well, they're now in arms reach mm. of so many of our churches. And uh, it's a clear and obvious responsibility that we have. Yeah, to tell them about Jesus. So if we put the, so we take the, we take the ownership, the responsibility God's given us as Christians, the mandate, the commission, make disciples of all nations. I like your statement, the unreached are now within arm's reach. Did you make that up? I think it did. I well, think. That's good. That's good. Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should, could, should uh, copyright that. That's a good phrase. Uh, but now, if we think about these least reached or think about people who maybe they're not from necessarily a non-Christian country, they just happen to be here. Um, what is the what makes this such an uncomfortable moment when we think about telling people from a different cultural context about Jesus? It's obvious it's uncomfortable for people who are like us, but it's more uncomfortable. there. So what are some of the elements that make this most uncomfortable for us? So if I had to sum it up in one word, mm-hmm. uh, though I think we can unpack that some, I would say the unknown. Okay. It's the unknown. Uh, there's a scenario where I'm looking across and mm-hmm. realizing uh, that I don't know what I don't know. And that starts to fill in a lot of gaps mm-hmm. and fears for you if you're not careful. And all of a sudden it's like, well, one, I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to get mad at me. I don't want to say something that wrong or in mm-hmm. a way that they wouldn't understand it or or uh, all those questions start to rise to the surface. And when I'm sitting here with somebody that you know grew up in the same setting I did, and I, I know that we're gonna have a shared story here, uh, there's a whole lot of assumption that's mm-hmm. built into the ease of that conversation. Right. Well, all of that assumption's gone when it comes to somebody that we know is clearly a cross-cultural moment. And because of that, there's, it's replaced with this unknown, this big question mark. Yeah, it's amazing what we can fill into our brain, totally. our imagination can go crazy when we think about telling somebody about Jesus who's different from us. Now, we might talk to them about all kinds of other things, directions or, you know, where'd you buy that shirt or you know anything else. But when we think about telling them about Jesus, all of a sudden our imagination goes to, well, I mean, they might actually be a closet terrorist or maybe I'm going to say something they don't understand and they'll never become a Christian because I said something wrong. Or maybe I'm going to offend them in such a way that then they'll hate all Americans, they'll hate all Christians. So our imagination can just go crazy when we deal with this idea of the unknown. And um, it's it's kind of strange the way we fill in the gaps in this as opposed to just saying, I'm just going to do it. Now it's like, oh, my goodness, there's every reason. And so we can convince ourselves these are good, noble, Christian, love-your-neighbor reasons to not tell somebody about Jesus. Certainly are. And uh, one of the things that I, th- I do want to give some credit here, I think, this is maybe me playing the benefit of the doubt, okay. but I think one of the reasons we have so much fear, like you said, I mean, it's one thing to offer directions or advice or, or help. It's another thing when we want to turn to a spiritual conversation here, isn't right. it? And all of a sudden, the, the stakes seem to be raised right. for that moment. And I think it's because we do, in fact, realize how important that conversation mm-hmm. is. And so the more important the conversation we feel we're having, the more likely we are to think, one of the table stakes are pretty high here. And yeah. so I can't screw this one up. Right, right. That's a great point. So uh, how, do we, how do we overcome that fear? Um, you have 
coached churches, you've coached Christians for the last, you know, the better part of the last decade to engage uh, people of different cultures. What are some ways that you've coached people to overcome these fears, the fear of the unknown or other fears that they might face, so that they can at least feel a little bit more confident in this process of of cross-cultural evangelism? Certainly. Uh, ultimately, you got to rip the Band-Aid off. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Like, there's a level where we're not going to get comfortable doing this until we do this. Yeah. And so we've got to realize that the conversation has to move from the abstract to the real. Mm. Uh, very often, we, and this is true of evangelism in general, we, have, right. we will train ourselves to death mm. on this conversation, and we'll come up with a new tool and a new strategy, and uh, we'll sit in our Sunday school classroom on a Thursday night at 7, talking about how to do evangelism with one another, and we'll practice on one another, and we'll do all of this kind of stuff, and then we'll leave the room and not actually do any of it mm. with somebody else. We get very good at knowing how to do things that we don't ever actually go practice. And it's especially tempting to do that when it comes to the cross-cultural situation. Yeah. So one of the primary things I try uh, to coach a church in doing on this particular point is getting their people face-to-face mm. with people that are from a different culture. Mm. Uh, and again, that's easier than ever now. Uh, most places sure. in the United States at this point, there are diaspora pockets or ethnic enclaves, and there's really low-hanging fruit here for you to take a group of people from your church and in 10, 15 minutes be staring in the face somebody from a completely mm. different culture and religious background than you've ever grown up in. And uh, I think putting a human real face on this problem instead of it being some abstract concept is one of the most important pieces to, to getting over that curve. That's a great point. Great point. Another thing that I've learned is that a little bit of education helps a lot. Absolutely, it does. So when I'm thinking about working with somebody from a different country or I'm anticipating I'm going to this restaurant or this this group of refugees or this pocket of people lives in my town, uh, rather than just uh, be afraid, maybe we can address that with a little bit of education. I don't think you ought to be an expert, right? Mm. God didn't call us to be an expert in Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or anything else. But there is the comforting feature of being just a little bit comfortable. So someone's in your town, maybe you have a neighbor, you realize, man, these people are from, say, Lebanon, or they're from Syria, or maybe they're from Iran, or uh, China, or Thailand. You think, maybe God's put them there so I can talk to them. There's a little bit of, of study you can do, maybe even Wikipedia or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, a little bit about the country, a little bit about the people, a little bit about the history. That little bit of education sometimes get you past this unknown hurdle. Now, I don't mean you ought to go out there and pretend you speak the language or something like that, but just enough that you think, okay, now I'm comfortable a little bit in this discussion. That can alleviate a lot of fear. Absolutely, it does. Uh, When I've coached churches in this, there's kind of two things that I tell Mm -hmm. them that's great for preparatory work. Uh, You want to instill urgency and confidence Mm -hmm. in your congregation. Urgency that this is absolutely something that needs to be done, and, and we're the ones God has given the task to. Uh, confidence that not only has he given us this task and it is urgent, but we can actually do it. Yeah. And that confidence comes, I think, from a couple of things. One is let's let's remove some fears. I've got this idea in my head that everybody from that group's a terrorist. Mm. And if I go talk to them, they're actually gonna try to kill me. Right. Uh, and so let's let's kill some of those fears. Yep. And let's get rid of that, uh, the tropes. But in addition to that, like you said, you don't have to be an expert, but if we can teach people how to be cultural learners mm. and we can put some tools in their hands so that they can go into a situation with somebody and 
confidently begin to engage in a way that helps them learn about the group. Hmm. You've gone a long way at that point to giving people confidence in the ability to do this kind of work. That's good. Yeah. So the unreached within arm's reach. Uh, Keelan, are there any, uh, do you know of any resources that may be helpful uh, that we could recommend to our listeners that would give them either the skill or the training or the opportunity to be more effective, more confident, maybe to engage in cross-cultural evangelism? Yes, yeah, so I'll go ahead and throw out a shameless plug right okay. here. Uh, we've been working for a while here at Southeastern uh, on this particular issue, right? And so we, a number of years back, came up with the concept of the People's Next Door. Yep. Uh, the People's Next Door project is one that we've, we've had. Uh, it currently... Uh, rests at peoplesnextdoor.com. Yep. Uh, it's where you can find that. And there's a number of articles and helps and resources on that website that talk about all kinds of different issues in this. And that's a, a space that you can go to in order to be able to, to engage in this issue. So that's, that's a shameless plug yep. there. But it's there. Uh, in addition to that, though, there's a growing body of materials and research that's written on this specific topic, how to engage with uh, peoples here in the States yeah. and uh, or other diaspora settings. And so I, I would encourage you, there are, uh, you can just type in diaspora mm-hmm. missions okay. to Amazon and find a number of those works, and several of them are, are really good. Of course, anytime you search for a book on Amazon, you got to be careful be about smart. what you're going right. to get into. Uh, one book that I would recommend that I give to churches all the time is a little book uh, by Sarah Lanier okay. called Foreign to Familiar. Okay, yeah, that's a very good uh, book. Foreign to Familiar, it's super accessible. It's the kind that you'd give to somebody that's never necessarily, maybe they've never even had any theological training or any of those kind of things. They've not, uh, they're not seminary students, they're not pastors or church leaders, but they're just folk in a church that really want to learn how to engage. Mm-hmm. The book is written for, for that layer. It's written for people who just care about this, but they don't have any background in it whatsoever. Yeah. And it gives them some simple tools to break down some of those barriers. Good. Foreign to familiar. That's a good book, good resource. So as, as you think about, uh, again, the unreached within arm's reach, our encouragement is that you would find ways to uh, to share the gospel with those around you that God brings into your path. And certainly because of the world we live in, many are going to be different than you, than than the people that you're familiar with. So find a way uh, to rip off the Band-Aid, get involved in conversations, take advantage of the chance to share the gospel as you follow God on his mission, as he's bringing people into our paths uh, who need to know about Jesus, and they're in your life and in your circle of living so that you can be the one that tells them about the hope they can find in Jesus. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee.
Hey, welcome back to our segment of The Scent Life, Out of the Tower, where we take what we have taught in the classroom, what we teach in the classrooms around here, and we try to break them down into bite-sized chunks that are real practical so you can take what we're talking about and move into the street as you talk about Jesus, as you try to lead your neighbors to Christ, as you help them walk more deeply with Jesus. And as we do each week, I welcome my friend, Dr. George Robinson, into the Scent Life studio. Dr. Robinson, welcome. Hey, glad to be here, Dr. Glad you're here. What do we have this week for our Out of the Tower tip? So this week we're going to be talking about the prepositions of the gospel. <laughs> the prepositions, okay. Not the propositions. The, pro- the prepositions. There are propositions. There are true statements absolutely right. to the gospel. We're going to talk about the prepositions okay. to the gospel. So You were an English teacher at one uh, point, right? I was a history teacher. A history teacher. teacher. Yeah. So I'm from the South. Uh, you know, English is really... English as a Southern language, right? English is really bad or poor or something. something I like don't that. even know how to say it. So there you go. There I'm not an go. English teacher. All right. Let's talk about the, the prepositions, prepositions of, the, of gospel. the gospel. Yep. So here, here are the four prepositions, then I'll explain why they're important. Okay. From, for, into, and on to. So when it comes to the gospel, you know, oftentimes Christians understand that the gospel saves us from our sins. And and that's just kind of straightforward evangelism, right? Uh, That gets at the doctrine of justification, uh, regeneration, those types of things. Uh, But the gospel doesn't just save us from sin. The gospel saves us for God. Mm. So several weeks back, we talked about uh, preaching the gospel to yourself and how the gospel continues to be necessary for our growth, our sanctification. So from sin, justification, Mm -hmm. for God, sanctification, but then the gospel also saves us into the church. Mm. And so even when I'm communicating, you know, again, several weeks ago I said, don't invite people to church, invite people to Jesus. But when they come to Jesus, what will happen is the roadblocks that maybe previously existed from cultural situations with the church, those roadblocks become less and less significant in their lives. And then you're able to bring them into uh, the community that's called the church. And the the value of the church in our evangelism and our discipleship is that it's a uh, a community whereby we learn what it means mm. to worship and obey, um, and it's an environment that cultivates our sanctification process. It helps us Good. grow in our sanctification. But the final the final preposition is the one that oftentimes we miss when it comes to our evangelism, mm. and that's the gospel saves us from sin. For God into the church and onto mission. Good, wow. onto mission, and the gospel really has not been clearly communicated until we help people to understand that they weren't just saved for themselves; mm. they were saved to live on mission with God. You think about Jesus in uh, the gospel according to Matthew; his entire ministry begins as he comes out of that wilderness temptation. He begins to call men and women to follow him, Mm -hmm. and he's going to make them fishers of men. So right out of the gate, Jesus says, follow and fish. Mm -hmm. He he communicates to them that the end game here is for you to live on mission with me, Mm -hmm. not just to learn some things, not just to obey, but to teach others to obey. And then the the beautiful thing about Matthew's gospel is that it ends with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, and in that text of Scripture, you get essentially the same thing. Jesus says, all right, now go make disciples, baptize, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And so the disciples understood that they were saved from sin for God into the church and on to, on mission, to mission with God. And so we haven't really 
laid the gospel out in a clear and compelling way until we call people on to mission with him. Great. Embrace those prepositions. You got it. Thanks for being with us this week, Dr. Robinson. Glad to be here.